Attention. This podcast contains subject matter that may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. From out of the darkness, you hear voices that send shivers down your spine. That feeling of dread is undeniable. When you notice the monster under the bed is trembling. The aliens are scrambling to get back to the mothership. And the vampires are refusing to rise. Your reptilian overlords are pleased to force on you two humans they swear are not their captives. Your hosts, Michael and Wendy. This is Eerie and Absurd. Welcome to Missing Monday. Welcome back to Eerie and Absurd. Missing Monday. Uh Uh-huh. I'm Wendy. I'm Mike. He doesn't know how to do an intro. I'm working on it. (laughs) No, you do. (laughs) Who are we talking about today? Today, we are going to discuss the disappearance of Elizabeth Diane Vaughn from Sumner County, Tennessee. Oh, local. Yeah. First, I'll cite my sources where we've gathered a lot of our information. It would be from Middle Tennessee Mysteries, The Charlie Project, Name Us, Tennessee Missing and Unsolved, which is actually a Facebook group that has, they list missing persons in Tennessee. And then I've also, I got a lot of my information from the Tennessean newspaper, and I'm going to cite all those sources on our website. Okay. Elizabeth Diane Vaughn was 28 years old when she went missing. Elizabeth, who also went by Diane, which is how we're going to refer to her, is described as being around 5'3", weighing somewhere near 120 pounds. She has long red hair, hazel eyes, and was last seen on the night of June 18th of 1992. She was wearing khaki pants, a white blouse, and black Reebok shoes. Before she went missing, Diane lived in Hendersonville, Tennessee with her two-year-old daughter, Tiffany, and had recently filed for divorce from her husband, Bruce Vaughn, a few days prior to going missing. Diane and Bruce had been married since 1984, even though there was a freshly filed divorce. Yeah, there was nothing to show that they were having huge issues prior to her disappearance. And overall, the divorce appeared to be amicable. Multiple articles cited that Diane may have been depressed due to the pending divorce. But there were also several members of her family that stated she was not depressed. And that was in forums and other articles that I read. Uh, Diane was also the manager at a food line grocery store in Donaldson, Tennessee. One of the confirmed last people to see Diane the night she disappeared was her estranged husband, Bruce. There were some slightly conflicting details of what happened that night, but we do know that Diane was at Bruce's house in White House, Tennessee. A lot of the newspaper articles and information that was provided by police during the early parts of the investigation state that Diane was visiting Bruce and their daughter until either 8 p.m. or 9.30 that night. Later on, friends and relatives say that, that no, she was not there visiting. She was actually there just to pick up Tiffany, and that's all. One article stated that the couple may have actually argued because Diane wanted to take Tiffany with her, but since the child was already asleep, Bruce was against Diane taking her. You know, it, 8 o'clock or 9.30, that is kind of late, and mm-hmm. if they're already asleep, let them sleep. Apparently, Diane ends up agreeing and comments that, you know, she needs to get gas and something to eat before she goes home. Two days later, Diane's 1991 Ford Tempo is found in the parking lot of an O'Charlie's in the Rivergate area of Goodlettsville, Tennessee. 
Diane is not with her car, and I couldn't find anything that stated if any of her belongings had actually been left in the car, like a purse, an ID, or if there were any fingerprints other than Diane's in the car. So it's here where some conflicting information occurs. There was an employee at the O'Turley's restaurant in Goodlettsville that states they remember seeing Diane sitting at the bar alone, eating the same night that she disappeared. However, none of the other employees that worked that night were able to confirm that, yes, they did actually see her by herself at the bar or even at the bar in general, which means that if she was there, nobody saw her leave and nobody can say for sure if she left alone or if she left with someone else. A different employee also told detectives that they may have seen a woman fitting Diane's description getting into a 1980s pickup truck that had a toolbox in the back with chrome running boards and it was being driven by a man with red hair and a beard. Police were never able to locate a truck or driver matching either description. That lead ends up just drying up pretty quick. Investigators actually believe that Diane was never at or in O'Charlie's. They kind of believe that her car was actually driven to that location to throw off the investigation. Yeah, somebody's covering something up, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, look over here while we're over here. I don't know. In December of 1992, the Tennessean runs an article about Diane's disappearance. And in this article, Diane's mother, Mary Jo Holland, states that her life has been at a standstill since Diane has disappeared. The front porch of her home is decorated with yellow ribbons, and she even has a poster in the front yard asking anyone passing by that may have information on Diane's whereabouts to call the number listed. She barely leaves her home in case someone calls with information on the whereabouts of her daughter, and her days are filled with watching her granddaughter Tiffany while Tiffany's father Bruce is at work. Mary Jo even states that she's put in a security system at her own home due to the world being such a dangerous place. At this time in the investigation, some family members believe that Diane may have been abducted or that she may have just walked away and changed her identity. However, at the same time, it's really hard for them to also even consider that she would just up and leave or even just leave her daughter. So, and they've also, there's also been an $11,000 reward that was raised and it was offered for any information that could aid in her return. In March of 1993, Crime Stoppers offers a $1,000 cash reward for any credible clues related to Diane's disappearance. Then, less than a month later in April, new information comes to light. In an article by the Tennessean, Diane's mother states that Diane had been seeing another man at the time of her disappearance. This man, who is never named, I cannot find his name in an article or any of the information that I've been able to find and pull up, but he is actually a co-worker of Diane's and he is married. Diane's mother is cited as saying that maybe the affair drove her over the edge, causing her to leave just to clear her head. Sometimes I think she was so depressed she just went away. However, the police and certain family members don't completely agree with this theory and believe that she was either abducted or a victim of homicide. It's weird that there's no mention of who, who that was unless there yeah. was no reason to put him in the news. I, I mean, I don't know. I'm not sure. Like, I don't know why they wouldn't have said anything unless they were just completely satisfied with everything. But I agree. Usually, they tell you who it is. They name the suspects and then say they're ruled out or whatever. Well... He might have just been a person of interest. He wasn't a suspect yet. Well, yeah. Unfortunately, by August of 1993, the investigation into the disappearance of Diane is officially turned into a homicide investigation. Investigators even go on the record stating they have a primary suspect in mind, but do not provide further detail on who the suspect is and what motive the person would have to possibly harm Diane. 
They did state the suspect had been questioned and had made several conflicting statements. So I wonder why all of a sudden they're assuming she's been murdered and not just still ran off somewhere. I guess because I can't find anything to associate that she is, in fact, still alive. You know, they usually check bank accounts because this is in the early 90s. Cell phones weren't a big thing. Were they even around, really? Like, they were those big ones. So not everybody had a cell phone. Hmm. And if she's not using her bank account or any credit cards and hadn't been home, hadn't paid rent, any bills, they're going to probably assume the worst has happened. Right. And it's been a year. It's been over a year because now it's August of 93. She disappeared in June of 92. In April of 94, an article comes out that provides a little more information, but from a different member of the family. A cousin of Diane's named Dottie Gann at that time believes that Bruce may have actually killed Diane. During this time, Dottie is married to a private investigator named Billy Gann. There is also a detective with the Metro Police Murder Squad named Pat Postiglione who agrees that all indications are it's a homicide. Now, just a quick reference, due to Diane living in Sumner County, her car being discovered in Davidson County, both Sumner and Metro have a hand investigating her disappearance. So that's why a Metro officer or detective is commenting on this stuff. Okay. So obviously, the disappearance of Diane is is a source of pain for her entire family. But unfortunately, it's also caused a small rift between some members of the family. The family agrees on the following. Diane moved out, got her own apartment with Tiffany in May of 92. Diane and a meat manager where she worked became friends around the same time that she moved out. And when questioned by police, he used the word dating when he described the relationship. Diane's usual routine was dropping Tiffany off at her mother's house and then picking her up after work. However, on June 18th of 92, the day she disappeared, or the last time she was seen, for the first time ever, Bruce picked up Tiffany from Mary Jo's house. Now, this is where the Gans and the rest of Diane's family start to disagree. So, Dottie states that Diane had called her and told her that she would be by with Tiffany that night to visit. But, Diane and Tiffany never showed up. And so, we do know that Diane never got Tiffany because Tiffany was sleeping. So, she stayed at Bruce's house. According to the article, Gan was frantic over Diane's disappearance. And her and her husband searched for Diane's car and found it about 30 hours later parked at the O'Charlies in Goodlitzville. I wonder why she was so frantic so quickly. Just maybe just concerned, I guess, but... Maybe so. I wonder what made them go look in Goodlitzville. I don't know. I don't. I never saw any information on why they were specifically looking in Goodlitzville, and it may have been maybe they were driving around. Maybe that was a restaurant that Diane liked, and mm. so they wanted just to check to see if maybe she was there. But I don't know. I'm, it doesn't say, like, when she was frantic, it doesn't know, say if it was 24 hours after... Or if it was immediately because she never showed up. So those are that's a little bit of the information that I'm not clear on. Suspicious of Bruce, Dottie confronts him about three weeks later with the claim that she believes that he actually hurt Diane. I wonder why she is suspicious of Bruce. So the reasons that, that Gann is suspicious, along with the Metro detective, is because they believe that Bruce strongly opposed the divorce. Uh, Per Gann, Diane told her about a phone call that she had had with Bruce and stated that during the phone call, Bruce had told Diane he had a shotgun in his mouth and was going to pull the trigger. Uh, Bruce was apparently calling Diane at work and threatening to come out there. Bruce took two polygraphs and both were actually inconclusive. 
He apparently assisted with putting up some missing flyer, like missing person flyers, but he never actually called to ask about any progression in the case. And then he quit speaking with detectives and hired an attorney. That might seem suspicious, but never mind. Like I have differing opinions on some of those things, which I'm not going to get to, I'm not going to get into, but I could see both sides and the potential to like maybe kind of have a hands-off approach at the beginning so you're not messing with anything. But then, I don't know, the family seems to be very tight-knit. I mean, I would be out looking myself. Right. It'd be hard not to. But we don't, and well, and the thing is we don't, everybody does things differently. So you never know. Like now he is a single parent until she is found. Mm -hmm. It seems like he um, is heavily having to get help from her mother. Like, like to watch her and stuff like that. Or maybe that's what she did anyways to begin with. Needless to say, the world is still turning even when this is happening. Mm-hmm. And so, but I agree. I, but we don't know. We don't, we're not him. We don't know. So other members of the family believe that Bruce is not where detectives should be focusing their attention. They were still regularly having dinner with Bruce and even going to car races with him. Mary Jo was actually concerned over the relationship that Diane was having with her co-worker and originally had thought they were together on the night of her disappearance. Police did question the meat manager and stated that he had passed a polygraph. So he was cleared. When told this bit of information, Mary Jo, she didn't question it, but she still did wonder if this relationship may have complicated Diane and Bruce's relationship or possibly caused Diane to question her relationship with Bruce. Polygraph tests, I mean, you can pass one if you're crazy enough. If you're a psychopath, yeah. Um, so that doesn't really mean anything to me. Well, and they're not admissible in court. I, I mean, I know that the police do use them. Here's the thing. <laughs> Depending on when he took one, did he take it right away? Like after her disappearance or was it years after and he had already come to terms with whatever? Like, you never know. They're not admissible. You're, it's a situation kind of where you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Because if you're in a high-stress situation, there is a potential you're going to fail it or it's going to be inconclusive. Right. But, so why even use them? Yeah. But yeah. then if, you know, if you honestly don't believe you had any, you did anything wrong, then it's, it, you could pass it. Like, I don't know. I've never been in that situation. I'm pretty sure that I would never pass one even on my best day. And that's only because I get so freaked out about stuff. Mm-hmm. They would swear my name wasn't Wendy. Is it? I think. So... <laughs> All right, so then in January of 95, two separate tips are received by police stating that there may be a body in a pond. To make the situation a little more suspicious, the pond in question is located across the street from Bruce. Police have divers search the six-foot-deep pond, and after about four hours, the divers are unable to locate a body or any remains that may be associated with Diane. Okay, so to me... the this sounds like, you say it was an anonymous tip? Yep. Two separate tips. I mean, if they, I'm assuming they were anonymous because it didn't say who gave them. It seems like someone just wanted that pond search that they thought maybe he did it. And so they called in. Because they couldn't do it without plausible cause anyway. So. Right. It's at this time that investigators officially identify Bruce as a suspect in the disappearance and potential homicide of Diane. One investigator is cited as saying his own actions make him suspicious. He has nothing to say about anything. It's a very bizarre way for a husband to act. So I get it, but obviously they're going to be looking at you and wanting to find a suspect. You'd be almost afraid to say anything. But if you have nothing to hide, you'll talk. You'll be cooperative. And so sure. I don't think I don't think he immediately shut down. I think he helped at the beginning. I wonder if they started to try and like 
railroad him or something. I don't know. Maybe. That would make me stop talking. Yeah. Like, if they're going nowhere fast and yet they're trying to pin it on Somebody. you, yeah. maybe you're like, yeah, I need a lawyer now. And, you know, everybody, even at the very beginning, he could have got a lawyer. You can call it suspicious, but it, it is his right to ensure that he is also protected during this. Well, and it's interesting that the family's so adamant that he didn't do it. On the five-year anniversary of Diane's disappearance in June of 97, members of her family again speak with the Tennessean. Diane's mother and stepfather don't want people to forget that Diane is still missing. Since Diane's disappearance, they've purchased newspaper ads all over the U.S. with Diane's missing information listed. They have posted missing person signs across the country. And Diane's stepfather, who is a truck driver, has been putting Diane's missing person flyers on semi-trucks that were driving coast to coast. Just if she is no longer in Tennessee, they are putting her out there like, hey, have you seen her? That's a great idea, Mm -hmm. especially with his connection as drug driver. The family even went so far as to consult psychics and traveled out of state to speak with people who made contact stating that they may have seen her. There was even a television show that was titled Case Closed that featured unsolved crimes that made contact with the family wanting to cover Diane's case. However, The family turned it down when police stated it would interfere with their investigation. I don't know which police did it, if it was Sumner or Davidson, but this is five years out, and I don't think that they don't have anything new. Yeah, I wonder, how would it interfere? Are they going to be giving some information they were trying to kind of keep under wraps? But they wouldn't know it, though. Usually the family doesn't know it. You know, they always keep... The police always keep something close because it's going to be that person that did it that's going to provide you that one thing that you didn't let everybody else know about. Right. You would just... You would think, at the, you know, five years out, you you would think that they would just want to get it out there. A lot of times when things like that happen, they do start getting flooded with phone calls and tips that are... A bunch of nonsense. Yes. And maybe that's why. And maybe they were still getting a lot of those. Yeah. And it was like, you know, we don't have the manpower to handle that. That's a good point. I didn't think about that. So within the same article, Diane's mother and the rest of the Hollands... They actually defend Bruce's innocence, stating that he was absolutely crazy about Diane. However, police are still suspicious since he's still refusing to cooperate with them. One detective stated that they were still receiving tips, but he wouldn't disclose what these tips were. The police do believe that someone very close to Diane knows where she is and or what happened to her when she disappeared. Unfortunately, throughout the investigation, there was a family member with good intentions that got a little too involved. And so... This family member that they're speaking of is her cousin Dottie, Diane's cousin, and her husband, who was the private investigator, Billy. And Billy states that he was only trying to help. He, it was apparently Billy who helped Diane's brother file the original missing persons report and kind of in hopes of calming his wife down because she was very close to Diane. She was very upset. Um, he did search for Diane's vehicle and interviewed some of her friends. Uh, Diane's stepfather stated that it seemed like every time a lead would come in, instead of the police going to check it out, they would go check it out instead, which unfortunately leads Diane's mother and stepfather to question some of the methods used in the investigation. A Sumner County detective named Carl Edison stated, I think he had a genuine concern for her well-being, and he may very well have gone overboard on some of the things that he did. But those things happen, especially in these types of cases, where you'll get a family member that will draw their own conclusion without having any facts to support it. The next article that mentions the disappearance of Diane is in June of 1998, when Crime Stoppers reaches out to, you know, in the newspaper, they just listen, um, 
an article reaching out to remind the community that there's still a missing woman and that a reward is being offered to anyone that has credible information in Diane's whereabouts. The last article to mention Diane's name is in January of 2000 when a woman's skull is found in Stewart County, Tennessee. The skull was found near the Cumberland City TVA plant on January 12th of 2000. Um, It was confirmed that it did not belong to Diane. Unfortunately, we're in 2020. Diane is still missing and her family is still holding out hope that they will one day find Diane or know what happened to her. If you have any information on what happened to Diane or where she might be, please call the Sumner County Sheriff's Office at 615-452-2616. Well, that's terrible. I can't imagine going that long and not knowing. How old would she be now? See, she disappeared in 92. She was 28. So she would be 56 now. Yeah. 56, 57. And we're going to post pictures of her on the Facebook? We can post on there, definitely. Yeah. On Instagram and Facebook. Well, good job. Thank you. I would like to say I wish that I had more information on the meat manager. I get that you have to look at the people closest to her. Just because he passed that polygraph doesn't mean anything to me. There was like, pr- did they look at his wife? Did What about who else at work? I don't know. There was probably... He could have had an alibi. We don't know. Yeah. They checked out and it would have just been a waste of time. But we don't know that. I mean, we don't know that, but maybe (laughs) they do. There's a lot of focus on Bruce, and I get that. He was the last person to see her. He was also the husband, and they were getting divorced. But my red flags aren't really going up around him. Were they getting divorced because of her affair? I don't think so. She had already moved out. She had already moved out, yeah. And here's the thing. So it wasn't even an affair then. Well, she was married, so they do call it that still. But, I mean, were they separated at all? Because just because she just moved out in May and then she disappeared in June doesn't mean that they weren't technically separated. Mm-hmm. Because they could have still been separated until she could move out. Because sometimes that's how it works. You know, you move out and then you start filing for divorce or whatever. It's, a, it's different for every couple. So, but I don't know that that actually had anything to do with it. I'm not pointing fingers. I don't know. Um, I was suspicious about a few other things. I just, I don't have nothing else to say. Yeah, so if anyone knows anything, uh, call the Sumner County Sheriff's Office. All right, until next time, guys. Let's find Diane. Okay, bye. Bye. Until next time, fellow absurdians, remember, everything you've heard is true. Monsters are real. And the strangers in black are not a figment of your imagination. Don't forget to subscribe and rate us on iTunes or your favorite podcast streaming service. Do you have a story you want to share? Contact us at eerieandabsurd at gmail.com or visit our website at eerieandabsurd.com to submit a suggestion. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram, both at eerie underscore absurd.